Hello, I'm Dr. Yishan, a board-certified sleep psychologist. Many years ago, I told some friends that I started studying behavioral sleep medicine. Then one day, one friend came to me and told me she actually has narcolepsy, and she felt so shameful that she never shared that with anyone before. She was so happy to learn that I'm learning sleep, and finally, there's someone in her friend circle that can understand her struggles. I know for sure my friend's case is not the only one out there. Shame, fear, loneliness, grief are eating many people's lives away day by day. Today is September twenty second. It's the World Narcolepsy Day. In order to honor this special date, I invited Sheila Digot, the Wake Up Narcolepsy Canada support group leader. Sheila is a retired pediatric nurse from one clinic in Canada, and she was diagnosed with narcolepsy type one at the age of forty-five. So she has very inspiring stories during this whole healing journey, and I cannot wait to share this with you together. Please remember to subscribe to our email newsletter at deepintosleep.co to get updates of the newest sleep knowledge. Now let's welcome Sheila. Hi, Sheila. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I found you on Twitter. Actually, noticed you are very actively involving in the community of narcolepsy. So I'm excited to have you on the show. Yeah. So my my journey's been many years, like many people with narcolepsy, and without the community out there and social media, I think I'd be lost.、Um, so yeah, you'll see me on Twitter occasionally. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I'm not very active there, but I notice a lot of people in the sleep communities are there. They are. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great community. Love it. Yeah, and I know you are actually、uh, in the healthcare field yourself too. I know personally, you know, I worked in hospitals before. I know how fast-paced those settings are, and it can be very demanding, very busy, and exciting. So I'm curious, what what does it look like for you to you know work in a healthcare setting? At the same time, you have to deal with other conditions. Yeah,、um, I I think it made my journey different in a lot of ways than other people.、Uh, so I was a pediatric nurse for over thirty years, and in many ways it was the perfect career. I loved it. It was fast paced. It was interesting. My mind was always going and engaged and learning. But in another way, I think things kind of snuck up on me. So I actually had to retire a few years early. And part of the reason I believe is because I wasn't really listening to my body, so I was having full body cataplexy, and I actually started having hallucinations in the middle of the day, and called my sleep doctor because the line between sleep and wake was really becoming blurred, and I just lost the ability to find that balance. Wow! Can you help our listeners to understand what is Cataplexy. The what's the symptom? What that look like exactly? Sure. So cataplexy, as many people know, is a weakness of one or more muscle group. So it can be your whole body. It can be all your muscles, or it can be just a drooping of your face,、uh, slurred speech, dropping a glass, your knees buckling, or crashing to the ground. 
And for me, I had many, unfortunately, I had many full body cataplexy when I was working. I think I didn't realize this until I retired, but once I was able to be still and kind of think about things and listen to my body, I realized that what I thought was a sudden thing that was just happening like this actually had warning signs. So for me, I I know when I start getting just a little foggier in my thinking, if I have trouble word finding, I start to feel just not quite as motivated, like just a general slowing down. And then I may even get nauseous or just not feel as well. And I know now that when I start to feel those things that I I won't drive, I won't do anything that involves, I'm going to go, okay, you need a nap. I don't feel tired though. It's not like a tired thing, but it's like, you need downtime, you need to rest. And then it usually goes away. And of course I take medication as well, but medication alone doesn't treat it. Um, So I haven't had a full body attack in, I don't know, definitely over a year, Um, probably two, but it's tied to emotion. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people don't realize that it can be laughter, anger, joy, mirth, And for me, it's mostly anger, but it's more of a righteous anger. It's not just your everyday, you know, getting ticked off at somebody. I think I suppressed a lot of emotions without realizing it for many, many years. It's almost like a part of me knew it was tied to emotions, but I didn't intellectually or consciously recognize it. So now I'm like, ah, ah, huh. But again, you know, I went back and got my degree when I was in my 30s. I had two kids. I worked full time in a busy job. I worked days and nights and I was always taking courses and things. So I wasn't, yeah, I just wasn't listening to my body and what it was trying to tell me. Wow. I feel like no matter what type of sleep disorders, right? A lot of people struggling with one same thing is our brain and body keep on sending us some kind of signal but we may not get it. Some of the signals is helping us to fall asleep or, you know, do some change to make us better, but we don't prioritize those signals or sleep part. And we just uh, too busy with other things. I hear that from patients with insomnia too, with sleep apnea, with all kinds of sleep disorders. There sounds like if we are trying to be more mindful, trying to be more at the present moment, we may actually catch the subtle signs. Yeah, I I agree. And I think I'm, you know, I've learned a lot over the last probably five years about how to recognize my own symptoms. And I feel like it's much better. You know, it's a balance and it's, I have to juggle a lot of things, you know, to get through, you know, many days. But yeah, that whole mindfulness thing, I think is really important. And I think working in a hospital as well, like we almost put people on a pedestal who can work, you know, after sleeping three hours and then they go to the OR and then they do clinic and then, you know, you know, they brag about, oh, I can do this on this little sleep. And I think it's a a whole cultural thing too, even about not getting breaks. And I think we need to start prioritizing that, you know, it'll make us that much more productive and efficient, right? But slow learners, (laughs) I think, right? Yeah, wow. That's that's definitely such a great uh, insight and lesson you learn from yourself and hopefully can inspire some other people who are listening how to be mindful of our own signal. 
and then decide from there what we can do. Um, and one thing you mentioned about cat plastic, uh, sounds like it's sudden drop of the body or sudden loss of muscle tone. Yes. It's connected yeah. with some extreme emotions. Is that yes. the right way to understand it? Yes. So, uh, so an example for me was, um, I was in charge on our unit and, when you're in charge, you're kind, you kind of oversee patients that come and go as well as, you know, many other things. A nurse who was in charge of intensive care tried to transfer a baby up who I was told by the physician was not ready to be transferred. And she kept pushing me in my mind. I was like, you know, this isn't about me. If that person is not ready to come up because the doctor says so, then they're not ready. So I started to kind of gather myself to kind of do battle, if you will, you know, verbally with her. As soon as I did, as soon as I got mad, I just felt this like this rush. And this is one of my very first ones. And I crashed to the floor at the nursing station. The phone went flying. Of course, back then, I think I tried to normalize everything because I didn't know what in the heck was going on. So I'm like, oh, I have low blood pressure, which it's a little low, but there was just always a reason. And because I'm like, what, what happened? But I amazingly, but how, why would you didn't realize that it was because I was angry. Laughter, not so much. You've got to be really good to give me cataplexy. Got to be a really good comedian, but joy, like a real mirthful joy will give it to me or, oh my goodness, excitement. Like, wow, that type of excitement. So one of our, um, infectious disease doctors came down to see a patient and it was something rare. And, you know, I kind of, I'm a little bit of a geek that way, but everybody was all excited and they were talking about it and everybody went in the room and I was outside talking to him and he said, Oh, we found this out in the lab. This was kind of, as I was just kind of getting to, I think, going to my doctor saying, there's something else, there's something else. I don't know what it is. And he was really excited. He said, do you know what we found in the lab? And he didn't even have it out. And my knees buckled. And there was two surgeons, one on either side of me. God love them. They're wonderful. And they each grabbed an arm and my knees went down. And to be honest, I think that I had just been diagnosed, but they saw me going. They got to the point that the people that I work with got to the point that we worked in groups. So we would have like a team, nurses and doctors. And so I would work with these two surgeons. And one day, one of them said, go take 10 minutes if you want, like roommates free. And I'm like, what? Like, I'm fine. Right. Like what? <laughs> and he's like, no, you're not. And I'm like, you know, excuse me. Right. And he said, your eyes are getting droopy and you're definitely slowing down. And I was like, Oh, really? He goes, yep. He goes, we're fine. Go, go take 10 minutes. And that's all I need. And I thought, wow, like he really, he really knows me now. Right. Which was great. So there was a bit of that, but that was my later years, right? Once people understood what it was and still have had to sign against medical advice for an ambulance. I've had a code blue, which is a cardiac arrest or, you know, life-threatening event called on me at work and they called the pediatric team, then the adult team. And I had, I think, a paradoxical reaction to a new stimulant I was on. Had like a 20 minute full body cataplexy. Oh, wow. I mean, anyway, so I'm on this bench and they called neuro. So they called the people I work with who knew what I had. 
when it came around and I'm like, I think it was, you know, this, this mad, I think it, you know, I just took it today. It was my first time and I should have taken on my day off and people still don't understand. Like I'm explaining it to them. I'm like, this is the pathophysiology and this is, you know, and, and they're just looking at like, these are medical professionals. And I'm like, so then they call EMS and they want me to go in the ambulance. And at that point, my vitals were fine. They had me on a mind, you know, I'm like, like, I'm good. Like I'm back to normal. And they're like, no, we would feel better. And I said, I'm going to go there and I'm going to sit there for five hours. And they're going to say, yeah, we think. And to be fair, there could have been something else. Right. <laughs> so I went, I sat there for a couple hours, saw a doctor and he goes, yeah, he goes, how do you feel? And I'm like, I'm fine. Like I've been fine since it happened. And he said, I think you had a prolonged cataplexy event. He said, I think you're right. If you've never had one like that, I think it was probably just a reaction for whatever reason. I never took that medication again, but it actually takes a lot of effort to deal with the other people aspect of this disorder. Even with friends, you know, like my friends who know me really well and are supportive of me and supposedly understand it. Like I had a sleep attack in at a new year's party and I could not make it from the kitchen to a couch. Like I literally sleep just came over me. And so I just kind of found a corner and a friend said, a, a good friend <laughs> said, you can't just like sleep wherever you want. And I couldn't move. Like I was just, I was that tired. It was like someone had given me IV, whatever, Ativan or Valium or something. Like I was, I couldn't move. I was that tired. And I was like, really? And then another day I was going to take the bus and after work and I was exhausted and I got to a bench. I didn't even make it to my bus because I couldn't make it. I was that tired. And I closed my eyes on a bench and a police officer came over and he shook me. Oh, no. Move on. You can't sleep here. Oh. And even if I was somebody who was home, how horrible. There was no, how are you? Can I help? Anyway, I hope that wouldn't happen today because it was probably 15 years ago. And there's been some education, but you know, we're constantly, I think, coming up across things where we have to explain ourselves or we have to rationalize why something happened or so it, it can be tricky. And, you know, I'm pretty strong, but everybody, you know, at times, even if you're tough, it gets you down, right? Definitely. Wow. Yeah. And now you imagine, right, how hard that is to keep on educating people around you. Some of them get it, some of them not get it, and they may not get it all the time. I don't know whether you ever feel lonely and left out by others. And I, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of emotions going to come out of all these interactions with different people. Yeah. And, and I often think that I could probably be seeing a psychologist for this alone. And I have yet to find, and my sister's a psychologist. She's probably going to listen to this, but she does kids. She's really great, but I haven't found anybody who really understands it enough to get into the discussions around kind of the nitty gritty stuff. I always find myself discouraged. And I keep thinking if I was 10 years younger, I'd go back to school and that's what I do. Like I would do sleep like you're doing. I would think, right? An advanced, uh, you know, uh, practicing nurse and, and uh, deal with sleep because it, there really is a need out there. Community itself, like I really believe without the support groups, a little plug for the support groups, but 
without them, you know, we meet every week and you have somebody to bounce it off of. And almost always somebody will say, oh my gosh, yes, that's happened to me. And it's so discouraging. And you can actually see the beginning of a meeting to the end of a meeting. People like just kind of being picked up, like, okay, have a great week. Like I feel better. And, and I think that talking to peers who really get it kind of helps bridge that, that gap. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Find like peer support group, and it's very important to have at least one or two people around you to really yes. understand, right? Mm-hmm. This kind of like feelings, what you are going through, and can understand to a deeper level. I think that's such a meaningful thing, and even a luxury for some people if they don't have yes. communities around them. I would imagine in China how people with narcolepsy find any support group. I haven't heard there's anything going on, but maybe there are some going on. Yeah, well, online maybe. Yeah, online. Yeah, yeah. nowadays, fortunately, we have online communities. Yeah, hopefully, because it it seems to be kind of making its way around. We have people from. Africa, we have people from Hong Kong, you know, that are coming in and out of our groups. I was volunteering for an organization on the weekend and I had a girl sitting next to me. So this is an example of how you get into situations and who do you tell? When do you tell? Do you tell? Right. I, (laughs) we were working together and it was an all day event. So we couldn't leave our, our post or our table because it was a fundraiser. So I'm working with this girl and I've never met her before and she's lovely and we're chatting and I started getting tired and I'm like, okay, I need to find one of the people who relieve us because I need to go for a break. And she was kind of like, well, we just started. And I'm like, I know, but it doesn't matter. Right. I was feeling myself and I'm like, oh my gosh, this would be a horrible place to just crash. It was an outdoor venue. And I'm like, no, no, I, I actually have a sleep disorder. And I was like, I have to tell her because I'm starting to feel a little panicky tell someone I feel better because I almost feel like that person will provide me support. But also if I fall asleep or have cataplexy or something, then they're going to be like, oh, she has this. And I have a medical alert, which I think is important. So I said, yeah, I said, it's called narcolepsy. And I said, I just, when I need my breaks, I really need them. So I went for a break and I slept in my car for 10 minutes, 15. And, you know, and then I was like, woohoo, let's go. And when I came back, she said, did you say you had narcolepsy? And I said, yeah, I, I do. And she, I said, do you know about it? Because not, you know, not a lot of people do. And she said, my sister and I have this joke. And she always teases me and sa- says that I have narcolepsy. And I'm like, really? And I said something like, it's often a butt of jokes. You know, I said, I have a good sense of humor. But whenever anybody's tired, people say they have narcolepsy. I said, but so has she been called, saying this for a long time? And she said, yeah, for years. And I said, but why? Because <laughs> I'm like curious. And I'm like, so why does she say that? And she goes, oh, well, I have to nap every day and I have a hard time getting up in the morning. So I'm intrigued. And I said, so when you get up, like, do you ever feel rested? Do you feel like do you sleep overnight? So I started asking a bunch of questions and the red flags were going off. I was like, she didn't seem to have cataplexy, but, you know, I'm sure something was going on. She hadn't talked to her doctor about it because she thought it was just a joke having a nap every day, but she said it was actually interfering with her life. And I said, well, that's kind of like a sign, I think, that you need to talk to your doctor and you might need a sleep study or something else, right? And she goes, really? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So those type of things happen occasionally. 
I'm very vocal on my Facebook page as well as Instagram. And I have a funny handle. It's Napping Night Owl. Anyway, Instagram. <laughs> I love the name. <laughs> well, I worked with wildlife, so the owl, right? I'll do a post and I'll get somebody that I know sending me a message or their teenager will send me a message or their 20-year-old and say, hey, my mom told me that you know stuff about sleep. This is going on with me. And I'm like, oh, hi, you know, whatever. And I'm, and I'm very careful. And I think my nursing background jumps in because I'm, I'm careful not to cross any lines. And I'm like, oh, you know, have you talked to your doctor about that? And, and have you thought about this and that? And a few people have had to have medication. And another time I, I did a few talks in schools um, as part of the Rising Voices of Narcolepsy program. And I was at a junior high and two kids came to me after my talk and said that they were having hallucinations, had never told anybody. Yeah. So I was like, oh, right. And I'm really cautious because I know there's many other things. I don't want to scare them. And I want to give them praise that they've actually told me because they've told someone and that's a big thing. So I always reassure them. And I say, look, you know, first time I had hallucinations, I thought like, what is this um, and what's happening? And it was really scary. And I didn't tell anyone right away, but there's lots of things that it can be caused by. And uh, most of them can be treated. So they're like, oh, really? So they just needed that, you know, little reassurance. So, you know, I said, I, I, I don't have any say in how you handle this, but I would really recommend that you talk to your doctor or your care provider and or your parent. And I also asked permission to tell their teacher because I really felt that if there's something going on in the classroom or something, and both kids were really good and they said, yes, you can tell my teacher. I have that support too. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah. that's so wonderful to have you, someone have some knowledge, at least to guide them to a certain way. Right. Yeah. A certain direction. That's so important. And sounds like a lot of trust. They put a lot of trust in you and share this with you because they think you could understand. In my clinical work, I actually met with teenagers who were misdiagnosed, I believe. Uh, it's depression and uh, um, even psychotic feature with psychotic pictures because they have this. A hallucination, but sounds to me after evaluation is more along the line of sleep disorder, something like narcolepsy. So right. I know you experienced this too. Uh, can you explain more to our listeners what this hallucination looks like when it's associated with narcolepsy? Sure. So I had hallucinations falling asleep and waking up for years. And it's so funny now because I took a lot of neuroscience classes in university. <laughs> I'm like, I should have known this, but I thought I was dreaming as I was falling asleep and still dreaming as I was waking up, but it really was happening a lot. So they're very different than dreams to me. Um, and everybody's a little different. So as you know, they're called hypnagogic or hypnopompic hallucinations. That point where you're kind of in between sleep and wakefulness, that kind of, you know, gray area. And for me, I'm really lucky I didn't have scary ones. I know a lot of people can have really, you know, vivid, terrifying nightmare type hallucinations. For me, they were just more of um, 
it, it was more lifelike. And if it involved a conversation, which it didn't usually, because I had very lucid dreams, I would wake up and I would actually say to my husband, did this happen or did I dream this? You know, and he would be like, what? <laughs> and I would be, you know, sometimes it's an image. Sometimes it's like a really strong image. Like somebody's taken a bright poster of something and puts it in front of my face and I'll wake up and I'll be like, oh, I had one the other night. And it was like, oh my goodness, that was so real. It's very different than a dream. So the one time that I did have hallucinations in the daytime was actually before I retired from my job. So it was really hectic. And we had combined clinics and there was a lot of changes going on at work. And I'd actually talked to my manager about being really tired and, you know, having to adjust meds and I was increasing my stimulants. I remember it was the last patient of the day and I'm walking down the hall and I had three rescue birds at home, two cockatiels and a lovebird. So I'm at work. They're not with me, but I'm walking down the hall and I'm like, you know, yay, the day's almost over. And as clear as if these birds were on my shoulder, I heard my cockatiels singing. They're very melodic. They have specific songs, both of them. And it really took me back because I'm like, okay, that's not happening. They're not really there. And I'm like, okay, I kind of gave my head a shake. And I think I took a drink of a coffee and they were still there. And it was really loud. So we had a patient came from New Brunswick who had waited a long time to see us, who needed a bunch of teaching. I was the only nurse in clinic then. And I'm like, well, I I don't know what I'm going to do because I'm functioning totally fine, except the fact that I'm hearing this and I know it's not there. Like, I know it's not real because I'm like, well, I'm just going to have to do my best. Like, I have to get through this last patient. They waited long enough. The neurosurgeon that I was working with kind of went in another room. I didn't tell him. (laughs) And I went in. I did a half an hour teaching with this family, like a neurosurgery procedure the entire time. I'm literally going, just block them out, block them out, block them out. So I've got like two conversations in my head. Then I'm checking myself going, okay, are you, is this sounding right? Yep. Yep. It's all good. So it was like these two streams. So when I left the room and I felt very confident that, you know, what I said was fine and there was no, you know, ethical thing. So I left and the neurosurgeon that I was working with, I knew him as since a resident and I must have been pale or I must have looked really off because when I came out of the room, he saw my expression and he said, um, Sheila, how are you doing? And I was like, okay, you don't normally ask me that, right? (laughs) And I'm like, well, you know, I'm okay. And he goes, I know you're having a hard time. So he must have talked to one of the managers. Anyway, we had this long talk and he said, you know what? Like you put over 30 years of nursing in. He goes, we love having you here, you know love working with you, but you need to look after yourself because nobody else will. I'm like, thanks for your concern. You know, and I smile and I go back to my office and I call my sleep doctor right away. And I left her a message and I said, hi, um, it's Sheila. Um, So this just happened. And she had been trying to get me to quit work, to retire for about a year. And I kept saying to her, no, I just need to be more efficient. I need to delegate. I need to work smarter, you know, all the buzzwords. And she's like, Sheila, like, I can't keep upping your medication for you to go to a job. That's basically your 
overdoing what your body can handle. So she said, come to my office tomorrow morning. She called me right back. I went in her office and she said, I'm literally writing out that you are off work indefinitely. It's being faxed over. I was like, this is not how I want to retire. You know, like I was like, what? And I knew, right? It just, of course. And she said, you can't be a pediatric nurse and be walking about hallucinating. And I'm like, and she said, we can't get you under control while you're working. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And that was my last day of work. Oh, wow. So it was difficult because it wasn't on my terms. You know, I loved my job. I kept thinking I can, you know, I'll figure out a a way to do it. You know what? In retrospect, lots of people retire in their fifties. I'd worked since I was 20. So they're 21 or whatever as a nurse. So it's all good now. I'm paddle boarding and having fun. (laughs) But at the time it, it was difficult, you know, and I, and I really felt like I was letting people down. This was not how I wanted it to happen. I was leaving all this work for people in a mess. And that played on my mind. And it took about three months before I really got my sleep better and got my meds figured out. Wow. Yeah. Well, even sounds like, you know, your symptoms were really interfering with you back then, but you still tried so hard to pull up all the tasks you have to do for such a demanding job. That's really amazing. But I I can imagine must be so, so, so challenging. Yeah. And I, you know, and I think again, because I loved it, like I loved going to work every day and I loved the people. So I missed that. I had to come to my senses though, right? (laughs) I couldn't keep going. Obviously I had to eventually. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's also a very important piece for all listeners to remember and apply to their life, it's this self-care piece, right? We all say self-care, self-care, but I think we all need to leave room, space for self-care. It's if we don't carve out the time in life to do that, how are we going to deliver? Where to deliver the self-care? Yeah, yeah. And, And a lot of these buzzwords, you know, they're buzzwords for a reason. They mean something or people have connected with them, but self-care. Yeah. Like I really try to cut myself some slack, even if other people don't and just say, you know what, they haven't walked in my shoes. They don't, they haven't lived through this. And for whatever reason, you know, they can't see this perspective. So. So, but sounds like even you had such a a severe episode for the hallucination and many other symptoms, it's still after some treatment, after more self-care, sounds like all those are getting better. So there are hope to get better. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I worked for 32 years, you know, either 80% or full-time while raising kids. I went back and got my degree while I was doing that. So there is a way to do it. It's just, I think, I'm not sure I recommended exactly how I did it, but there's so many things that you can do to minimize the symptoms and make things better and we'll often talk it and we share podcasts in our support group all the time so we're like huge Huberman fans right we're all like did you listen to this one so anyway you're you're now on the list um we you know we'll share these these podcasts and insights and if we get somebody new there's often that resistance because they think like most of us did at the beginning that the medication is going to fix it and it's going to be easy, but it's not. 
people get excited when they get a diagnosis finally, especially if it's been 25 years like me. It's like, wow, like there's this medication and I'm going to be great and I can do what I want and life's going to be great. And then once the honeymoon period's over, you're like, wait a minute. I, and my doctor did tell me this. I still need my naps. Oh, I can't stay up late because that messes up my sleep. And then the next day is terrible and I have breakthrough symptoms. So it's really a planning. Like, I feel like I'm always planning my days and I cancel things a lot. So I always say yes, if it's something I think I want to go to. And then in my mind, I'm always like, hey, so what do I need to do to get there? Right? Like, do I need to cancel anything else out so I can do that? A lot of people talk about the spoon theory, which you've probably heard of. I'll be like, okay, how many spoons do I need if I'm going to go to that tonight? And I live with my parents now because my mom has dementia and I'm helping out. And my dad is 86. And you'll laugh at this. He says a 10 minute nap gives him 12 spoons. (laughs) (laughs) So if, if you read the spoon theory, most people have six. And even people without narcolepsy have to manage energy output. And he is just like the energizer bunny. But he worked in healthcare, and I grew up with this culture of, you know, you work hard, you, you, and he still, I can't keep up to him, you know, academically, he worked hard, he worked hard around the house, but I look at him and I'm like, okay, not everybody has 12 spoons after a nap, right? (laughs) I might have two, maybe one. So anyway, I I got off topic there, but. This is very, very important and interesting the way you <laughs> yeah. mentioned that. I think that's really easy to remember, right? I, yeah. I think you touch on a very important piece that, you know, diagnose is not the final stop. And also after diagnose, what I learned in this field too is normally the treatment involves both medical doctor and some behavioral therapy, right? Behavioral cognitive, uh, all those components. So it's, there's medical part, what doctors can help you adjust medication and all those, but there are also a big part, for example, sleep psychologists can help you, or some doctors can take that role, like cognitively, how to be prepared, how to think about this, how to rebuild your own self-identity in a way and behaviorally what you can do to help out, like the short naps you mentioned maybe multiple, set up multiple short naps during the day, right? I think all those are part of the treatment. And also the mindfulness you mentioned before we could record, you, you, you mentioned how much you love being mindful, how mindfulness um, become, you know, more and more important. And I think that you are not the only one I interviewed with narcolepsy who mentioned that there's another, at least another guest mentioned this too. They feel like, this mindfulness practice and to really figure out something helped them a lot more than medication. So I really think it's a more, how to say, holistic view of the treatment. You know, I I think that every sleep clinic should have a psychologist uh, with them. I, I look at what our doctors try to do in the run of a day. And I know I partially, it's partially because of my you know, being on that end of being a healthcare worker too. But so much of it could be done by a psychologist or a nurse. Our um, backgrounds are very different, but there's just so much more that can be done. And I hear people saying all the time, well, 
my doctor didn't tell me about NAS. My doctor didn't tell me about this because they're so pressed for time, you know, and they have, if they put more patients in, then they have less time. If they put fewer patients in, the waiting list is longer. Just recognizing that part of it, it, it just seems crazy to me that there isn't a sleep psychologist in every clinic. Yeah, there's a shortage of uh, board certified sleep psychologists. I bet, yeah. Globally. <laughs> because hopefully I got, that'll change. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. I, I really yeah. hope so. And within America, I already know there's not a lot of us. There's only 400-ish board certified sleep psychologists. And I also know most of them treating adults, not enough treating children. Right. And if we want multilingual providers, it's even less. So uh, it's just a hard yeah. as a field kind yeah. of changing. Yeah, exactly. But you know, a team approach too. And again, I'm putting on my <laughs> my nurse hat, but a team approach too. You know, like if you or if a psychologist was guiding a team, and you had you know LPNs or nurses or somebody who were working under you, you know that you could spread that that much further. And just like if you're working with a surgeon or somebody who's doing, yeah, their scope, right? Yeah, I definitely value teamwork. I think it's important right now. Personally, I am training several students to learn how to do deliver like sleep, some basic at least sleep intervention uh, because it's such a shortage. We really need that. And hopefully by spreading the awareness more and more, we could really help people like our conversation today. I think it's so important. I know next week, uh, possibly by, by the time this episode is going to be out, September 22nd is the World Narcolepsy Day. You know, another thing just in that vein is there's a really big grief component to this. Just talking in support groups when we have new people, it really comes through without labeling it, the loss of what they thought they had or their life would look like or what they could do. And it reminds me of, you know, working in pediatrics, if a child or a teenager, whatever, would get a diagnosis and they would go through that grieving process. You know, it's very different. And you see that kind of weaving in and out of the how to manage. And those types of things like a psychologist would just be invaluable to have everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. There's a, but I'm sure, you know, more and more uh, either sleep psychologists, I know there are a lot more sleep coach right now. And- anything going to be helpful once it's evidence-based, it's legit. I'm sure it can help people process some feelings like this loss of self-identity or rebuild a new self-identity, right? How to adapt it, how to live with this in your future life, and you can still thrive. You can still be happy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It just in a different way, but how to gap from now to there Right. Some work. I'll occasionally see people who get stuck for a long time. You know, I think those are the people that really need to reach out to a professional to access some more care to kind of go through those feelings because you hate to see people, you know, not living their best life because they have this. It's just a different way of living, right? Right, right. I, I like how you say it. So you mentioned a lot of great resources, right? Any any peer group support or, you know, uh, resources you think our listeners going to benefit from knowing? Yeah, so I'm um, 
an education seeker. So when I was diagnosed, the first thing I did was go online, like many people. And the first organization I came across was Project Sleep. And then I discovered Julie Flagair's book, Wide Awake and Dreaming. And I read that right away. I ordered it. And when I read it, I was I, I identified right away with so much of it. And then I kept going and I found Wake Up Narcolepsy. I went to two Narcolepsy Network conferences because I needed to meet people in person. Like that was important to me. I'd never met anybody with narcolepsy. Wake Up Narcolepsy kind of came later for me, but now that's the support group that I facilitate. Um, So I facilitate the Canadian group. There are other support groups out there for sure. And Wake Up Narcolepsy provides them free online and it's through the Hey Peers platform. So there's many different types of support groups. You have to register with Hey Peers, but if you go on Wake Up Narcolepsy, I think it's wakeupnarcolepsy.org, then you'll see the links to support groups and then you can sign up. So they're free and they're weekly. You can come in and out. You know, I, I always tell people there's no obligation, right? If you want to come once a month, if you want to come when you're having a bad day, if you want to come when you're having a good day just to see us, right? And there are people who go every week. And there's more than one night. There's a pregnancy group. There's a parenting group. So whatever kind of your particular challenges are, and you want to talk to people in that area of your life, you can. Wonderful. Yes. I think all those websites, groups, folks are very helpful. And whoever, you know, are listening and uh, need some support, please feel free to reach out. You know, we'll have people come and sometimes they won't even turn their camera on. And, you know, we always say, if you just want to listen, I usually say hi, because it feels rude not to say hello, but, you know, just to welcome them. And it's very rare that somebody won't speak up at some point, you know, once they realize that it's confidential, that, you know, you're amongst friends, that it's not going any further and people actually are there to, because they want to be, and they want to be helpful. Yeah. Yeah, wonderful. And sometimes speak it out to a group of people who went through similar things, understand you, and that you can trust can really help us feel lighter and easier. So we don't carry all this burden, this stress on our own. We are not alone. Exactly. Yeah. It's been amazing for me. Like I can't, I can't imagine not having it because I don't have anybody right in my life, you know, that I see regularly who has it. So it's, you know, often I'll wait till I'll be like, oh, I need to tell group that. Or, you know, somebody will say, I want to tell you guys this. And sometimes it's not about narcolepsy. You know, somebody got a new car. They've been waiting forever. She hadn't been out much in the pandemic and now she felt like she was free. So, you know, we kind of went on that ride with her, right? It was like, yeah, you know, um, so we become friends. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So if our listeners want to um, follow you on social media or know more about you, where can they find you? Sure. So my, I have a, a Gmail just for narcolepsy. So it's narcolepsy Halifax, H-A-L-I-F-A-X dot uh, Gmail at gmail.com. And I'm on Instagram and it's all one word, napping night owl. (laughs) So if I don't know, because I'm not totally open my page, because I have some private things, if I don't know, it's an narcolepsy person. um, 
if they send me a message, then usually I'm like, oh, okay, you know, and I'll, I'll let them in. But if there's any signs that they're followed by people I know and stuff, I'll let them in. And then I am on Twitter and I actually don't know if I'm Sheila Coots, C-O-U-T-T-S or Sheila Degoo, because I'm going back to my maiden name. Um, so those are, yeah. Great. Yeah. I will figure that out and put yeah, all okay. information on the show notes. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Sheila, for sharing oh, your wonderful experience with us. Thank you so much for having me. At the end, I want to ask you, have you ever dealt with any sleep disorders or any type of disorders that stopped you from doing what you truly love? How did you cope with it? Leave me a message. Let me know. If you like my podcast, please review and read my show in any podcast platforms. It could really help more people to find my podcast. I'm so grateful to have you listening today. I will see you next time. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently, and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk. And our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed.